Hi, and welcome to the Airline Weekly Lounge podcast. I'm your host, Madhuni Krishnan, the editor of Airline Weekly, and I'm joined again today by my friend and colleague, Edward Ned Russell, who covers airlines for both Airline Weekly and Skift. This week, we talk about Ned's recent story on the Max's return to service and how passengers really aren't booking away. We also look at Spirit and Southwest's third quarter guidance and um, talk about my favorite topic, cargo. You can check us out at airlineweekly.com and new issue drops every Monday and we update this site throughout the week. We are on publishing hiatus until September 6th, but we are still updating airlineweekly.com. Thank you and I hope you enjoy the episode. Hey, Ned, how are you? I'm good with you. How are you doing this week? And welcome to another episode of the Airline Weekly Lounge. Once again, before we get started, to all our listeners, you can reach me at mu at skift.com and you can reach Ned at er at skift.com. So, Ned, let's get into it. Let's talk about this story you wrote on the Boeing 737 MAX. It was a great story that we published on um, on Friday uh, the 13th. Yes. Um, Friday the 13th of August. Uh, it also was in the weekly issue that on um, Monday the 16th of August. Um, so interesting. You found, You tell us what you found. I mean, you found that people are not booking away from the max, right? Right. So during the grounding, one of the big concerns, at least here in the U.S., was that uh, travelers would, would avoid the plane once it came back into service. Now, uh, there were numerous polls taken by various accounts. The number reached as much as two-thirds of those polled saying that they would either wait six months or never fly on the MAX again. And so now that we've had it back in service for a solid six, seven months here in the U.S., I really wanted to look at uh, if, if those fears are really coming true and then how the MAX is doing in service. And of all the airlines I spoke to, and I spoke to uh, six large MAX operators, no one is seeing passengers book away from the aircraft. Uh, now, th- that said, they can't see people who maybe avoid purchasing a ticket on the flight to begin with because there was never uh, any change in their system. But at a number of airlines, they said load factors are, are no. Everyone said load factors were at least equal to 737 NG operated flights or oh. other aircraft operated flights. So there's no indication there's any fear of the max. And and I, frankly, I think that's what a lot of us in aviation circles expected that. Most people simply don't know what kind of aircraft they're flying on. Yeah. And, you know, I remember about uh, maybe a year or two, probably just after the grounding, so almost more than two years ago now, uh, just seeing on the local evening news, one of these random segments that they interviewed people at airport, the airport asking whether they'd fly Max. And there are vehement passenger responses saying, oh, God, I'll never fly that thing. It's a death trap. Uh, you know, it's it's unsafe, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and uh, your reporting shows completely otherwise, right? Absolutely. But you know what? The truth is, is, is since a lot of these, these surveys were taken in uh, 2019 and 2020, we, of course, have had a major global pandemic. Yeah. And as uh, Copa Airlines Vice President of Flight Operations, uh, Captain Boulevard Dominguez, told me, people's minds are somewhere else and not on the aircraft right now. So right. that's probably helped the max to some degree. But I, I think the truth is, is people just don't actually pay attention to what kind of plane they're on. Yeah. When they fly, and we know that anecdotally for in our with among our non aviation uh, friends and relatives, uh, you know, I, I uh, my my wife has no idea what what aircraft we're on when we're traveling. Um, now let's, or, let's, let's be true. Let's be true, Madhu. Do you have an idea what aircraft you're I on when you're traveling? I do actually. I do, <laughs> but uh, you know, uh, I I I remember once asking her after she'd gone on a trip somewhere what what the aircraft was. She said. I don't know. 
had wings. <laughs> so sounds like my husband would do. Same thing. It got me from point A to point B. Is there anything else? <laughs> well, I can't help thinking of. I mean, I I barely I barely remember this, but you know, one DC ten. Well, there was a string of fatal DC ten accidents in the nineteen seventies. Um, now I remember the the accidents, but I don't remember the backlash. And apparently, there was there was widespread backlash. The DC ten will never fly again, or passengers would be too scared to fly in them it was a death trap etc and that aircraft in various forms continued flying into this decade absolutely well into the 2000s i think um, 2010 yeah. so no oh, okay oh yeah you're right we changed no, passenger, decades passenger, yes, yes you're right yes and um freight continues to fly <laughs> yes no it does um you know, one of the, the comments that I, I found from uh, the Air Current reporter was United Airlines executive saying in 1979 about the DC-10 that the most important, you know, the best way to win travelers back was just to fly an aircraft uneventfully. And that's really what we have seen with the MAX. It's been a relatively uh, uneventful return to service. You haven't heard any you know, horror stories or anything, which every airline's happy about, and Boeing especially. And the other thing that came out of my research is airlines are actually really happy with the aircraft. It's right. performing uh, better than expectations, uh, fuel performance. And of course, this every airline measures the metric a little bit differently. But I, you know, from the airlines I spoke to, as much as a five point, the plane is performing as much as five points better than was anticipated. And that was from Alaska Airlines, who said in December they expect a twenty percent improvement. Now they're getting a twenty five percent. So wow, you know. Yes. Yeah. It's massive. And that has led to uh, a lot of new orders for the Max from across ar- around the world. You've got Alaska, Goal, Aeromexico, United, uh, Southwest, uh, you know, even Ryanair is talking about exercising its options. So for, for game changers, uh, <laughs> for game changers, the brand name that I don't think will ever stick, but quit trying yeah. to make fetch happen. Well, they're going to keep trying with you. Going to keep but, trying. But you know, let's. I think this is worth talking about a little bit further because uh, even even the business press back in 2019, there was a lot of breathless reporting that Boeing would suffer massive losses, which it did. But to be fair, you know, it did. It, yes, it, it finally turned had a profitable quarter after I believe six unprofitable quarters. Uh, but also that Boeing would see its its airfields covered with whitetails that they would have to remarket and there'd be massive cancellations in the MAX and the, the, the Airbus 320 program would benefit. And, and all of those things are slightly true, but not as breathlessly and not as widespread as was reported back in 2019, right? Oh, absolutely not. Now, you know, saying the number of whitetails Boeing has is, is a difficult number. You know, it, they've got a different, a lot of different metrics. But based right. on the net orders that they lost for the Max in 2019 and 2020, Boeing lost. Um, I've got the number here: 560 net commitments. And pr- as of the 13th of August, they had gained 524 new orders for the Max this year. Okay. So they're almost done with their whitetails based right. on those numbers. Um, you know, they're, whether or not there's still some sitting in Moses Lake, I know the Chinese airlines are still uh, not flying it because the Chinese regulators haven't reapproved it. But Boeing is is almost at least out of the negative in terms of, of lost orders and uh, white tails on the max. Right. Um, and while yeah. and, and the 320 program has seen a massive influx of orders, but how much of that is due to air, aircraft cancel airlines canceling their max orders and and ordering 320s is is unclear and probably unknowable. 
I really think it is. I, you know, I am hard pressed to think of a single airline that's completely abandoned the Max. Now, I say completely because, yes, yeah, some have definitely ordered some 320s and 321 Neos to make up for the shortfall elsewhere. But uh, there's there's few airlines out there that have completely decided to switch their fleet plans and jump over to the 320 Neo family from the Max uh, because of this grounding, it appears. And um, you mentioned the Great White Whale in a sort of parenthetical a few minutes ago. <laughs> and that that is, you know, the... Oh. More than 100 countries' regulators have approved the Max Max's return to flight, except for a handful. Three, three right. A handful. China, of Russia, and India are three big markets that have And one of them it. is much bigger than the others. <laughs> Guess which one, people? I think it's China. But right. just, uh, just a hunch. Because India only has one Max operator, right? That's uh, SpiceJet. Yes. I mean, they've got, I want to say, 170 firm orders, but they do only have one one operator. And I'm no, not clear on what Russia's, how many Russian operators fly the, the aircraft. I'm not clear either, no. But I looked into China, and by Boeing's official, uh, Boeing's unofficial estimates, they say about a third of all MAX orders will eventually go to China. Mm. Now, their official order book only, uh, only shows 100-some-odd aircraft going to China, but... Uh, the way it's been described to me is you've got leasing companies or leasing aircraft to China, but and then also the Chinese government orders massive blocks of aircraft, and for some reason or not, Boeing lists those as undisclosed customers in their order book. So hmm. while it says 100 some odd today, we know that the number is bigger. I mean, for one, you look at Boeing's orders and deliveries today, and it says Air China has no commitments, yet anyone can go online and look at some photos from Moses Lake and see pictures of Air China Max's parked there. So... We know the number's bigger, but it's it's whether it's a third or somewhere less than that of max orders. China is huge. China is key to the to the flying success, and then Boeing really needs to get that uh, that that flying restarted. And did, in your reporting, did you get any hint of when the that uh, approval may come? I really did not. I mean, the latest reporting I've read, most people will know, Boeing sent a Max Seven over to China earlier this month. To do some flight testing, uh, I saw something previously. It looked like the, the seven Max Seven was actually headed back, so it had done some flight testing. Uh, but there's nothing, uh, nothing new on on whether that's been approved. Now, I have read some stuff saying suggesting that China might recertify the Max in time for the Beijing Olympics in February, just to because yeah. the airlines need the added lift. I don't know if that's uh, just hopeful. Uh, Hopeful expectations, uh, but or a realistic timeline, but you know, I think we're gonna have to see. And and there is definitely more at play here than just concerns over the safety of the aircraft. I mean, there. Oh, absolutely. It's right. geopolitics. Exactly. It's not concerns over the aircraft at this time. It's geopolitics. Right. Well, that it was a great story. Once again, you could read that story on um, airlineweekly.com. Um, it's in the weekly issue as well as on AW Daily. All right, and we're back, Ned. So moving on, um, we we um, there is a well, there's a lot of uh, sort of noise in the guidance from airlines right now about the Delta variant of the coronavirus. Absolutely, Madhu. I mean, we just uh, Spirit Airlines just put out uh, their guidance for the third updated guidance for the third quarter, and. Aside from the irregular operations that they suffered earlier this month, you know, they pointed to the Delta variant depressing bookings. To um, they're actually planning to lose money in the third quarter, which uh, they had previously said they would make a profit. So it's uh, things are getting, I don't know if dire is the right word, but at least darker. 
Right. And, and you know, as you mentioned, Spirit ha- was canceled 3,000 flights almost in the last couple of weeks because of IROPs or irregular operations, weather, crews, a, a bad confluence of events. So, so that would naturally have an effect on its uh, outlook for the third quarter. Uh, but they are noticing some softness in bookings. But what I found more sort of compelling, because Spirit has some noise in its its guidance from the cancellations, um, was Southwest, which last week said reversed its guidance, said it would no longer it had plan it had expected to earn money in the third quarter after a profitable July, and now expects to lose money in the third quarter. Absolutely, and, this, and Southwest. And the, Southwest hasn't had any of the issues that Spirit had in terms of operations. So exactly, you know, that's a much cleaner portrait of of domestic domestic U.S. demand at, at the moment. So, right, and Southwest so, attributed yeah. it solely to the to rising fears over the Delta variant and the spread of the pandemic in the U.S. Uh, so this hits these, you know, and Frontier was the first to to raise this issue back um, the, earlier this month when it had its uh, uh, second quarter earnings call. Or it might have been July 29th. Anyway, um, you know, Frontier Frontier reported about two two to three weeks after the the bulk of the U.S. carriers reported their earnings, and Barry CEO Barry Biffle said he saw softening in the uh, due to the coronavirus or the Delta variant. Then, um, so you know, it, I, I none of the other carriers have reported their guidance. Just Frontier are rather Southwest and, and Spirit. So it'll be interesting to see what happens over the next couple of weeks. For sure. I know that uh, analysts at Cowan uh, expect to have a sort of load of, of guidance updates coming at their conference in early September. I think that's the, the first of the September airline conferences as they kick off here in the U.S. So, you know, We'll probably see a little bit more before then, but that might be when we get the brunt of, of the news. So did uh, United, Delta, and American, did they spike the football a little bit? Um, when they were, when they reported their earnings or, I mean, cause you know, we heard a lot of bold talk last month about, uh, the pandemic behind it being in the rear view mirror, that business demand would, would pick up again on, after September 1st, when, um, lit, we, that, uh, us carriers were on track to, to match their 2019 capacity and, and turn profits again by the fourth quarter. I mean, what, 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 what's your sense from people you talk to? Oh, I absolutely think that they were a little overly optimistic. I mean, maybe I'm sure what they said was what they were seeing in the booking curve at the moment. But, you know, what what surprised me to see Scott Kirby, who's been a realist through this entire crisis, and he was still optimistic about the fall. You know, I think if anything we've learned from the pandemic so far is things changed very rapidly. So I I was surprised when those uh, during those earnings calls that that people were quite so optimistic and and I think things are gonna if, if Southwest uh, largest U.S. domestic well second largest now after American but if things have turned around for them with international still not there it's it's gonna be another money losing quarter for the U.S. carriers it's also the last quarter that they have any payroll support so yes. it's Important it's gonna point. be an interesting transition this fall with uh, you know. Had they they were expecting profits, but now those seem elusive, and, and they're going to lose financial uh, government aid. So right, it's, uh, yeah. I mean, the, their largest bill will come due again on October first. Absolutely. So that th- it is uh, the and you know we started to see even before we started to see the dominoes start beginning to fall. Right, I mean, when more and more companies said they were postponing return to office plans, all planned for for 
September now pushed back to in some cases the beginning of next year. I mean, it's 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 hard to we you and I talked about this a couple of weeks ago. It's hard to square how how um, business demand would return when when offices were remaining closed, and now we're seeing it bleed over into the leisure demand as well. Absolutely. You know, it's and traditionally we have to remember that uh, the fall is always a slower period for leisure demand. After Labor Day in the U.S., uh, it traditionally drops and business demand picks up. Uh, you know, I wrote about this last fall, and of course, last fall businesses business travel was still largely not back. It looks like this fall could be a repeat where we don't have the business travelers picking up as leisure travelers stay home, it, just, uh, which could be another tough uh, fall for airlines. So, this, yeah, I mean, we'll see. This thing just isn't done. It's um, it's appalling <laughs> absolutely you know and that's why i think you know everyone's maintained their guidance uh, you know it's gotten more rosy but that you know it's going to take until at least 2023 for air travel to recover and it's really increasingly looking like that despite the optimism we had uh, here in the u.s and in other domestic markets in the last few months yeah absolutely all right let's let's switch to uh one part of the industry that as is doing really well and that is uh <laughs> And that's uh that is cargo. I mean, we we covered a lot in this week's issue, the August sixteenth issue. We covered a lot of um, international carriers, um, and I was I'm still surprised after after all um, after all this time. I'm still surprised at the enduring strength of cargo. I mean, we're talking about airlines with no domestic markets like Cathay Pacific and, and Singapore and uh, Etihad posting like massive growth in their cargo revenue um even airlines with domestic market azul who now calls their cargo business a logistics business right <laughs> they saw you know triple digit growth in cargo revenue um, for over across their domestic market and they expect that to continue for the next few years yeah and and korean has had its fifth quarter consecutive quarterly profit profit <laughs> All in the back of cargo. I mean, it, it, and you're seeing, you know, there was a lot of talk, I remember, earlier this summer about uh, Praetors, those passenger aircraft that were pressed into cargo duty, being converted back to passenger duty because of all this rising demand. But then you see Turkish, for example, which also had a very strong cargo quarter, saying that it was plan- it could add even more Praetors to its fleet. So um, so that's, you know, when we say this thing isn't done, I mean, the, the it isn't, but uh, the... This, there seems to be bottomless demand for e-commerce and for cargo. That's uh, absolutely keeping so, a lot so of airlines. So, do black. you think we're going to see more airlines getting into the cargo business? We've had Air Canada and WestJet, uh, Azul. Those Azul's plans were predated the, the crisis. Any any more getting into the dedicated freight? Well, business? Mesa, right? We, there's Mesa, Mesa that added its right. 737 Sun Country added uh, a bunch of 737s. Again, predated the crisis, so you know. Mesa did not. Mesa started. Mesa right. did not. Sun Country did, though. Um, I think you know. Um, I talked to um, an exec, an executive at Cutter Airways a few months ago, who said that uh, the cargo now has a seat at the table. It was always considered. That's exactly how he put it. I mean, he he said you know cargo was always important to airlines, but uh, now it's Airlines learned that it is a reliable revenue stream, especially, you know, maritime shipping will get its act together and things will get back to normal. But but uh, air freight will continue to be an important part of uh, airlines bottom lines. I see. Now, the question is, will this United Cargo DC-10 that I'm looking at right now in 1999 timetable, everybody, 
return soon <laughs> to, to fly. Let's see. Enhanced service uh, daily from JFK to Asia. Wow. Ooh. Ooh. We can, no, I don't think he... <laughs> we can talk about why why you have a United timetable from 1999. Um, sometime Another time. To offline, yes, because that is a pathology <laughs> that I don't understand. But anyway... Uh, uh so the yeah cargo will will continue to be will, important to the airlines going forward it will though i think it's also worth noting that the u.s carriers are planning to to return their whatever praters they have left back to regular passengers so not every airline is going the direction of of maintain of expanding their cargo fleet, you know. But in the U.S., the caveat there is the domestic market is strong, so yeah. they don't necessarily see the need for for the praters anymore, even though the cargo revenues are up. So we shall see. But for international carriers, Canadian carriers, Brazilian carriers, it's definitely a strong and growing segment. Oh, this is a good one. I saw today Amazon.com sales uh, surpassed Walmart as the largest global retailer uh, this in, in the latest data. Wow. The, on the saw and deal book. So, yeah. Speaking of e-commerce. Anyway, moving on, uh, Madhu has some interesting information on a another tech market that, that he'd love to share with us. <laughs> well, you know, there's a, there's this, uh, so there are two EV, EVTO, however you say that, electric vertical takeoff and landing aircraft craft companies that are have been in the news a lot recently, Boeing backed Whisk and Archer Aviation. Now, Archer, of course, landed a, a 200 aircraft deal with United and Mesa earlier this year. Um, but the two companies have been fighting, duking it out in court, and it's gotten messy, Ned. It has gotten messy, but uh, let's see. Um, there have been allegations of industrial espionage staff taking details from one to the other millions of dollars on the line right. i mean it's really uh you know kind of i can i can picture the action film now you know do 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 yeah well it is it is fascinating I mean, so whisk alleged in a lawsuit earlier this year that a whisk employee downloaded hundreds of sensitive proprietary files and then ran off was poached by archer ran off and like gave those files to archer uh so that that Lawsuit has been cooking along. Meanwhile, Whisk has been saying these things publicly, you know, not just in court and court filings, but on its blog. Now, Archer then countersued just last week, um, saying that, you know, all these public statements outside of court have damaged Whisk's or Archer's reputation and to the tune of about a billion dollars. And Archer, in its filing, further said, now this is where it gets kind of fun and interesting. I mean, not fun if you're involved in the lawsuit, but probably, or, uh, but fun for all of us, is that Archer says that the engineer in question, yes, they interviewed the engineer in question and revealed their plans to him. And then he subsequently went to Whisk and blabbed about that. And Whisk copied the Archer's plans from this engineer. So I, who knows what's true, but it's just, it's kind of interesting. So now you've got all this like going on and whisk arch. So the, the two sides fully expect to go to trial and, um, you know, that's going to be an exciting trial to, uh, to listen to. Yeah. It's industrial espionage, billions of dollars in damage, you know, this kind of new industry that no one knows anything about and with untested technology. I mean, it's, it's, it's a, it's a book waiting to happen. 
It's going to be interesting how they prove billions of dollars of damage and the mini industry technically does not even exist yet. But that's, that's, <laughs> that, a... <laughs> that's a story for another day. We can talk about it some other day because I'm sure we'll be hearing about more of this. So, Ned, thanks once again for joining me on the Airline Weekly Lounge. Always a pleasure, Madhu. And as you like to say, it's my job. <laughs> it's your job. And uh, to all our listeners, uh, you can reach Ned at er at skiff.com. You can reach me at mu at skiff.com. Check us out, airlineweekly.com, and new issue drops every Monday. We are currently on summer hiatus, but we are updating the site every day throughout our hiatus um, at airlineweekly.com. Thank you for joining us. And I want to add that if you are interested in United's 1999 cargo operations, check out my Twitter, at Bayi Russell. No one is interested in that. I can assure you. You are, with you. (laughs) You are. All right. On that note, goodbye, and we'll talk to you again next week. Thank you for joining us for this week's episode of the Airline Weekly Lounge podcast. Should you have comments or questions, drop editor Madhu Unikrishnan a note at mu at skiff.com. Of course, check out airlineweekly.com for a new issue every Monday and updates on the latest airline news throughout the week.